Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. When I first kind of came to L.A., I kind of had the idea of, like, what's God going to do through me? <laughs> let's see. Let's see. And honestly, I think I probably, during that season, kind of pushed people away from God because the only person that needed to change was me. If you're wondering who that is, stay with us. Gabe will introduce him later in the show. Welcome to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot, and today we're looking at the arts, both from a storytelling standpoint and from the standpoint of being a Christian working in the entertainment world. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get started right away with a talk from a couple of years ago featuring hip-hop artist Lecrae as he talks about the essence of meaningful storytelling. I have uh, three wonderful kids. Uh, Landon is three, Amaya is six, David is seven. And David, my oldest, is starting to write stories. And one of his latest stories uh, is called My Trip to the Zoo. Page one goes like this. <clears throat> I went to the zoo. <laughs> Page two. The end. Now, don't you judge my kid. Don't judge my kid. Judge me. Judge me, because I told him it was phenomenal. He's going to be a great writer one day. So, nobody, I mean, and he might be. He really might be. But it will, it's great that he's writing and he's trying to use this aspect of his creativity. It's just that it, it wasn't a story. Because, because what is a story? A story is... Something has gone wrong, right? Something is broken. And then you have this, this protagonist who is fighting to, to fix the brokenness. And you have this antagonist who's fighting against the, 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 the protagonist. So something has turned life upside down in a story. And then you, there's this protagonist or this pro-agonizer who's agonizing to change things. And you've got this antagonist, this anti uh, agonizer who's fighting against what you're agonizing for. So the, so the issue with my son's story is that you can't derive any meaning from it. Right? It's, it's a statement, really. It's a couple of statements. Went to the zoo, the end. There's no meaning to pull out of it. Right? We don't know what does that mean. It's just a statement. It's, it's as if I, Jesus died. That's just a statement. Where's the power in that statement if I don't understand the story, if I don't understand uh, why he died or for whom he died or what he died for? It's just a statement. And so the way we see the world, the way everyone sees the world is shaped through story. Right. You can't derive meaning from anything outside of a story. It's just the way we're wired, our meaning comes from some sort of narrative. Some master narrative is where we draw our meaning from. So people are drawn to stories more than graphs or charts or facts or stats. People want to hear stories. And the way we see the world is going to come from a story. 
You can't attach meaning to something outside of a story. It's it's it's, it's how we function. We need a storyline. We need this master narrative. So what people tend to do in life is we organize our broken reality by finding a storyline and attaching the good guys and the bad guys, the protagonists and the antagonists. We're looking for a storyline in this broken reality and trying to attach good guys and bad guys to it. I'll give you an example. Ferguson. All right. What happened in Ferguson? It did mean something. Right. What did it mean? What people will do is they'll attach a narrative to what happened there to derive the meaning from it. So let me give you one particular narrative of of what someone would say happened in Ferguson. The black community are good people with bad circumstances. Uh, the police abuse their power and we have to fight to show that black lives matter in this country and that one day blacks can exercise their rights here and the police will be brought to task. And that's what transpired in Ferguson. Right? That's one narrative of what happened and you derive meaning from that. Here's another narrative of what happened in Ferguson. The police are good guys doing the best they can in their job and the people in that community who break the law are unfortunately going to face the consequences of that. We can't allow race to blind us from seeing that crime is crime and the justice system will ultimately work. It's another narrative. Two different narratives, different protagonists, different antagonists. Let me give you another narrative of what took place in Ferguson. Uh, <clears throat> what's happening in Ferguson shows that America is hurting and ignorance and anger are driving us apart. We need more conversation, more understanding more community. Three different narratives, three different problems addressed, and different protagonists and different antagonists, because no one can pull a meaning out of what happened there without a particular narrative. But if you have a Christian worldview, if you see life through the Christian storyline, you know you're not the good guys. You're sinners. We're all sinners. The cops are not the protagonist. The black community is not the protagonist. Both suffer from the effects of the fall. And both need Jesus as the ultimate hero, the ultimate protagonist. But neither are the bad guys either. Then, then neither one are the bad guys. They're both made in God's image, full of dignity. And so we can't ultimately vilify one particular God-created person, place, or thing. And we can't ultimately glorify one particular individual person, place, or thing. The problem in this world is sin. And the solution is always going to be the gospel. And the wonderful part about story, story allows us to draw out the protagonist and the antagonist and to diagnose what's really broken in this world. Uh, the beauty and the wonder of art is that the artist has the ability to tell stories. That's why I love being an artist, because I can tell stories and I can pull out who I believe is the ultimate protagonist, the ultimate antagonist, and what's really broken about the world that we live in. So the artist is a storyteller. The painter, the filmmaker, the songwriter, we are storytellers. We as artists get to push people toward the master narrative of our creation, our fall, and our redemption using stories. So when C.S. Lewis writes this narrative about a massive lion named Aslan, the world is drawn to the story, not a bunch of facts about sacrificial love, right? You can't grasp the meaning of that without the story being told. The Lord of the Rings, one of my favorites, 
it demonstrates this human depravity, this darkness of the heart and the darkness of our lives wrestling with our sin nature and the symbolism of the ring and those who possess it and those who covet it are dynamic in the context of a story. Right? Nobody's paying for an overpriced movie ticket to go sit in the theater and see the words, the heart is deceitful above all things, and then exit. <laughs> right? We're paying to hear the story surrounding those facts. We want the story. So the artist can either use story to help people see God's master narrative or use story to point to a lesser, unworthy protagonist and attribute all the evil in the world to an antagonist that should have never been given the right to claim all the evil. And I did this song on my, my latest album, Shameless Plug, Anomaly. Um, and, I, and I told a story. I told a story. The song's called Welcome to America. And I, and I told a story from three different perspectives of three different people on their view of America. You know, I, I wanted to draw out their different narratives and allow you to say, okay, this is what this person's thinking. But wait a minute. What about this perspective? But wait a minute. What about this perspective? And see if we can find their protagonists, their antagonists, and what they think is broken in this world. I was able to use different narratives, right? There's, there's a, the first narrative of a young man who, you know, he feels as if his struggle is his protagonist. And he's gone through so much and, and, and experienced so much. And criminal enterprise is not his preference, but it's the hand he's been dealt. And America is his antagonist. It's biased systems and, 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 and laws have made him who he is. Right. And so he believes that America's the antagonist and his struggle is the protagonist. The second narrative is a soldier who is similarly uh, gone through struggles and he's fought for this country and he loves this country. And his antagonist is this unpatriotic tribe of Americans who don't appreciate what he's done for. He's lost everything for their gain, and he believes this country and its founding principles were pure. And patriotism is, pro is his protagonist, but he, he's not finding his patriotism serving him as well as he'd like. And then you've got this, this third uh, character who's the immigrant who can't understand why Americans are so ungrateful for the wonderful country they have. The freedom they enjoy, the wealth of food and education, and they have clean water and beds and endless opportunity. And he speaks of working in sweatshops to provide our luxury, but he doesn't complain. He just wants to be a part of join our ranks. And America is his protagonist, but she offers him this freedom that he longs for. But yet when he arrives, her immigration laws keep him from living here. And so what's consistently happening is that all these stories in their own right are true. They're just not ultimately true. They attribute evil to the wrong antagonist and, and place the ultimate hope in the wrong protagonist. And America is not the source of our brokenness, nor is it the source of our joy. The problem is always sin. The solution is always the gospel. Um, so our Christian master narrative, our story says the world was made right and it fell due to sin. And Jesus is the ultimate protagonist who's coming to set it right again. The, the, the Christian narrative does not attribute all the antagonism to people, places, or things. Sin is the ultimate problem. It's not Al-Qaeda. It's not racism. Those are effects of the problem. They can't take credit for ultimate antagonism. It doesn't mean they are not outlets for evil and destruction. But they're not the ultimate outlet. They're not the ultimate source. And in the same token, 
Any protagonist outside of Jesus will always fail us. Patriotism, money, sex, relationships, they're all good things. They're just not ultimate things. They can't save us from our brokenness. And so the artist has the unique opportunity to show that if we take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, we end up longing for more. We can tell parts of the story. We can tell some of the story. We can tell things that allude to the story. But ultimately, we get the job of changing the way people see the world through story. Because everyone is looking at life through a story. Everyone has a worldview. It's our job to learn the culture story and enter into it and point them in different directions. You know, God saved us all through a story. We weren't saved through charts and graphs. We were saved through a story. We were saved through a story that started in Genesis and ended in the coming of a Messiah and believing in his death and his resurrection. We were saved from that story. We are here because we believe in God's story. Thank you. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. That again was Lecrae. His uh, actual talk was much longer. So if you'd like to find the full talk, go to QIdeas.org. You can just search for Lecrae there. Gabe joins us now with a very enjoyable yet transparent talk from our most recent Q conference this past spring. Gabe, would you introduce it for us? We've got one of the funniest people we've probably ever had on the Q stage joining us today. You're going to get to hear my interview with Tony Hale. Some of you are big fans of Tony Hale. Others of you, maybe you haven't heard of him, but he's a two-time Emmy Award winner who's been a part of a couple of series. Maybe you've heard of these. Once he was as Buster Bluth on the series Arrested Development. And then most recently, he's a part of Veep. And in Veep, lots of political humor, lots happening there. And so Tony's just this amazing guy who over the last many years, we've been in touch. We talk a lot about his own commitment to faith and how that plays out in these really unique places that he finds himself. And so we said, why don't you come to Q and let's talk to a bunch of leaders who are sitting here in the audience, many of which are not formally a part of any type of ministry environment. They're out living out their careers, whether it's in media or entertainment like yourself or politics, or maybe it's that they're in education or business, but they don't always find themselves in typical church-oriented and church language kind of places. And Tony was just the perfect fit to talk to us a little bit more about his role and, and what it means to act and what it looks like to be in L.A. and to do this kind of work, and also some of the hard parts about that. And he's very honest about that. But I want us to just tune in. I want us to listen to just a fellow friend out there who's trying to live faithfully and trying to do what he loves. And let's just hear from him and be encouraged by that today. Do we have any people in the room who are Arrested Development fans or Veep fans? Okay. It's kind of like this little cult. You know, and, and you know it. If you're one of them, you're always trying to convince other people to watch these shows. And they're like, no, I've never heard of it or I don't get HBO. So at this moment, you're going to get to meet somebody who's just an incredible actor. He's won a couple Emmy Awards. OK, incredible man, family man, uh, but leading in a space uh, in scripted comedy, something that I bet a lot of you in the room haven't done, would be scared to death to do. But he does it with such grace and he's really 
really funny. But for this conversation, I just want you to get to know how he thinks about comedy, how he thinks about life. And it's only nine minutes. So join me in welcoming Tony Hale. Am I gone? Hello. Hello. What a relaxed environment. <laughs> Have a seat on the couch. Just like so, one big living room. So. <laughs> you guys have heard some very, very smart people today. I want you to lower your expectations <laughs> right now. Get on that page. So, Tony, talk a little bit about, kind of in your view, what see. makes the best comedy. It's, um, here's a, I, I can only speak from my perspective because people have different uh, interests with comedy. Um, but what I love, and I think uh, for those of you who have watched Veep, a lot of you probably haven't because <laughs> the language is colorful. But uh, what it kind of does is it kind of takes a behind-the-scenes look at what might be happening in D.C. And I personally love that because I think as a society we kind of put people on pedestals and it's just like, oh, you're amazing, everybody's amazing. But then you don't really see that that person might have had diarrhea before he did a speech or something like that. And it's like, but the thing is, when you hear or when you, when, when something on the show, you hear that person having, not having diarrhea, but had, had just had diarrhea. It's like in your, in yourself, you're like, oh, I've had diarrhea. Like I can, I can, I can relate. I can relate with that. What it does is I think it softens this kind of, it, it softens, really? Softens. <laughs> it softens. That was good. It's a good catch. Um, it was just a really smooth move. No, um, it, like, uh, it just, it, to me, it kind of, um, it makes it, re you relate to the person. You know, there, it's not just such like, a, you know, all we hear is the sound bites of politics, or we hear the, 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 the great speeches, but we don't see the behind the scenes. And so, to me, I love the comedy that really sees the, the humanity of it all. And also, there's something about kind of taking the, I mean, that is also about kind of taking the seriousness out of it. I mean, the fact is we're spinning on a planet. That's crazy. It's crazy. And we're walking around like we're not spinning on. I mean, we're spinning on a planet. You know, when you just kind of, life is heavy. It's heavy, heavy, heavy when you kind of have an opportunity, like I've been given the opportunity to kind of make light of that and just acknowledge that. I think that hopefully brings joy and it makes me laugh. So, so how do you find these characters? Buster, of course, was a, a, a great character. But then you move into <laughs> Gary. I mean, it's Was like... he a great character? <laughs> <laughs> but how do, you, how do you find and develop a character like that? It, does somebody just script that and say, Tony, we think this is you? Or do you get in there? <laughs> that would be unfortunate. And <laughs> so for those of you who haven't uh, seen Arrested Development, it's a, it was um, a really crazy show. Very, very fun. But I played a character named Buster who was... Um, kind of a man-child, and he uh, just had a lot of codependent issues with his mother. People have asked me a lot of times, how did I kind of develop that character? And it scares me how naturally it came to me. Um, it, you know, people are like, what's your process? And I was like, didn't have one. It just <laughs> felt really natural. But um, I have a history of anxiety. I've struggled with anxiety for uh, a large part of my life. And I guess there's something about kind of I can understand a character that is based with a lot of anxiety. And when you, the thing about when you develop characters, you have to find that part of the character that is inside of you. I remember doing a movie a while ago. I won't say the name of it. It was an awful movie. And, but I was playing this. I was asked to play this character that was very entitled and was kind of like a guy who thought he was everything and stuff like that. It was kind of a player or whatever. I remember reading the character and being like, Ugh, I don't like these kind of people. I don't like them. 
And somebody told me that, Tony, you have to find that part of the character that's actually inside of you. And I realized, like, the fact of the matter is, I've unfortunately had moments in my life where I've been a bit of a player. I've had entitled moments in my life. And when you don't separate yourself from that character, then you can, you can bring a little more of an organic uh, interpretation of the character. And so with Buster, he was a really anxious, and so I kind of, you know, I've had panic attacks in my past, and so I know what it's like to have a panic attack. And so kind of bringing a more of a, a real version of that kind of in the character. Thank you for sharing that, being vulnerable about, I mean, sure. truly. I'm a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of therapy. <laughs> Let's talk about faith in, in your journey by the world standards, for sure. Lots of success. You've been at the top of your game. And yet, I know faith and family has always remained central, critical, key. And a lot of people who don't live in the L.A. world or don't experience some of the things that you experience on a regular basis have a hard time understanding how all that works. Would you just kind of let us peer into how you think uh, about faith as it relates to yeah. your work? I can only kind of talk about maybe mistakes that I've made, and that's probably what I've learned the most of. But when I first kind of came to L.A., I kind of had the idea of, like, what's God going to do through me? <laughs> let's see. Let's see. And honestly, I think I probably during that season kind of pushed people away from God because the only person that needed to change was me. I, I needed to kind of realize that I had a lot of arrogance um, that I talked and spoke to people more than listened to them. None of that is bridge building. I, I, I mean, I kind of go back to the fact that I am a, I am a mess. I'm a, I'm a huge work in progress. And when I kind of am honest about that and kind of just talk to people and hear their stories, and the fact is my faith is everything to me. It's everything to me. But I love hearing about where somebody else is. I have a friend who's into Scientology, and I was asking them about, what is that? Like, tell me about it. We had a really great conversation about it. I think I had a real us-them mentality that I'm not very proud of. But hopefully through the years of just kind of realizing that, man, I just, I'm so, I love being where I am, and I love learning about people and just trying to stop talking so much and just start listening. And uh, that's, that's what I've learned from. Awesome. Well, a lot of people also wonder about fame and celebrity, and, and even. And uh, I am a massive movie star. <laughs> <laughs> that makes total sense. <laughs> well, but so many younger people today. I mean, one of the research stats David Kidman and I were talking about was how almost three to one middle schoolers would say they'd rather be an assistant to a celebrity than pursue being a lawyer or a doctor. Is fame all it's cracked up to be? It's a no. Um, I. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of free stuff. Um, no, it's not. You can um, afford socks. I, mean, I can afford great socks. Good. Um, no, um, I think I, that's another thing I've really learned a lot about in this business is having been maybe a person in the public eye or whatever. I've kind of thought a lot about it, and the, the base of fame is everybody wants to be known. Everybody wants to be known, and they look at fame as the ultimate being known, or they look at how many Twitter followers you have, how many Instagram followers you like. Oh, my gosh, you are so known. But the thing is, if you're known by people you love, that's all the known you need. Because the more, the more, um, <laughs> that's right. Guys, wisdom is being thrown at you. <laughs> um, no. But it's like, it's, because the thing is, what's interesting, if you really think about it, the people that have massive fame, what comes with that is a lot of isolation, and that thing, and then you take somebody who has a nine-to-five job in Birmingham, Alabama or whatever, 
they actually are more known than the person who's hugely famous. The person who's hugely famous has to actually live in isolation because they don't have, they don't trust people who come to them. So it's the opposite of what everybody thinks it is. It's the opposite of being really known. So I do love to talk about that because I think it's a different way to look at it. Yeah, and I think from even our earlier talks by Bobette today about listening, how much even in your own story with the empathy and your characters as well as here, just how much more known we can be and others can know us if we listen and enter yeah. into real relationships. Yeah. Let's thank Tony for spending a few minutes with us. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you laughed. I hope you enjoyed hearing what Tony had to say. I thought a few things. He said, life is heavy. Find opportunity to make light of that. And that's obviously how he does his humor. But it was just a good reminder to me, to each of us, like, let's just think that way. And then the other point that was just awesome. He talked about fame because so many people think being famous is like the end all. I know in research studies that Barna has done, they talked about how within millennials that a high percentage of them would rather be an assistant to a celebrity than to pursue careers such as being a doctor or a lawyer. And it's just interesting that there's just this vision that if I can be around fame, then life will be good. And he actually totally rocks that idea by saying fame is the opposite of being really known. And I think that's just a good reminder to all of us. It's always fun to talk to people like Tony who are having to live this out. It's very real. It's day to day trying to be a successful person in the career and in the calling that they have, but also lead his family well and be engaged in relationship with his friends, his community, and his church. So I thought this was a fun one. I hope it made you laugh. Invite a few friends to come listen to it. People who maybe aren't connected into the church or don't think much about podcasts like this, but this might be one where we all can listen to it. We all can just enjoy the story of somebody who's trying to live out their faith uh, in a way that's both credible and authentic, but also true to who they are. Well, I hope you have a great weekend. Invite more and more of your friends, people at church, people at work to just join in, subscribe to the Q podcast. You can also see our talks at qideas.org where we're releasing talks every week, hopefully dealing with topics and helping you be equipped so that you can be faithful as you try to engage a changing cultural landscape, but do it with joy and hope and excitement and enthusiasm about what God's up to in this moment. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Gabe Lyons. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Q Ideas with Gabe Lines is made possible by Q Ideas in cooperation with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.